Thank you, praise team. This is um, in the church calendar. This is Pentecost Sunday, and we celebrate the, the giving of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and beginning in Jerusalem. Jesus had been crucified uh, the Friday before Passover, and when Jesus was crucified, Passover was on a Sabbath, so that was a high holy holiday, and Jesus had been crucified on the Friday before Passover. Uh, he had been in the tomb on Friday and Saturday for the full day on Saturday, and then Sunday very early in the morning, he was raised from the dead on Easter Sunday. Uh, this had been 50 days earlier than Pentecost. Uh, he, he had appeared for 40 days. He had appearances with the disciples, and, and, and I believe that the, the gospel say that he had appeared to at least 400 people uh, over the course of his, of his appearances after the crucifixion. He, he had ascended 10 days earlier, and then the disciples had retired together and spent a great deal of their time, probably not all their time, but a great deal of their time in the upper room. And so they, they had made some organizational uh, decisions. We talked about they cast lots uh, to elect that the next apostle to replace Judas, they, they had prayed and they waited. Uh, they waited for God to do something fresh and new. Now, Pentecost is one of the three main Jewish feasts. There is Passover, which celebrates the, the, their liberation from slavery in Egypt. There is Booths, which celebrates God's care for them. Uh, they would build little booths and they would celebrate that God took care of them when they were in the wilderness experience. And there is Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost uh, celebrates the wheat harvest, and, and you find this in the law, that they were commanded to celebrate the, the wheat harvest. Uh, and, and their Pentecost feast, typically they would read the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth was connected with Pentecost. And it's interesting, in the book of Ruth, Ruth and Naomi appear in, in Bethlehem about the time of Passover, and then the story culminates on Pentecost with the wheat harvest. And, and so the entire story of Ruth, and, and it's, it's an amazing thing when you think about story, this, this Ruth where the kin, kinsman redeemer redeems Ruth, all comes between Passover and Pentecost. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the Jewish people believed that King David's birthday was on Pentecost, that he, that he was born on Pentecost and he died on Pentecost. So, so David is closely associated with Pentecost. And I think it's important as we, we consider all this, this Passover, and we consider Pentecost, this whole ideal of, of King David as the, the perfect example of a king and Jesus coming and all this culminating in God's kingdom on Pentecost is all connected to this 50-day period. Now they also believed that, that Mount Sinai and the giving of the covenant, the new covenant, that the giving of the law occurred 50 days after. And so uh, the Pentecost not only celebrated the wheat harvest, but they celebrated the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And, and so this was an important day. The, 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 the celebration of the covenant, now we celebrate the new covenant as God has given us the Holy Spirit on our hearts and he's written his law on our hearts. It's an important day to the Jewish people and it's an important day to us as Christians. Now at the time of, uh, of Acts, 
There would have been many pilgrims in Jerusalem. There would have been many people that gathered. Uh, Jerusalem would have been a, a packed city with all the pilgrims that would have been there. Some would have stayed if they came from a long journey. Some of them would have stayed from Passover to Pentecost. And so the city is full. And beginning reading Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together, disciples were all together in one place. And they're suddenly, and they're suddenly appeared to them tongues as if, oh sorry, and there suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them as tongues of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their, his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And, and, and we'll read a little bit further. So, so we have this first miracle, and, and, and we have the disciples, the apostles are coming out of the upper room, and they're, they're speaking in languages that the hearers are hearing is their, their common language. It's the language that they were born into. That, that this Pentecost is a communication miracle. God is doing something necessary to communicate the gospel. Now, now the truth is, though, it, it probably wasn't necessary. That, that, that there was a common language that all of them would have spoken. They all would have spoken Aramaic. And so they, they weren't here struggling to communicate. There was a language that they spoke in, and yet God does this communication miracle that allows them to hear in their own language. And I think the miracle is this. God speaks our language. God speaks the language of our heart. God wants us to hear Him in our culture, in our time, in our language. Even now, God is speaking the language of our time. He's not dated. Now, some people suggest that Pentecost is Babel reversed. You guys know the story of Babel. God comes down and they're building this tower and they're, they're speaking one common language and God says, this isn't good. And he gives them all these different languages and scatters them. I was reading this week about this and about Babel and, 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 and one writer suggests that Babel is not about just one language, but, but it's about the enforcement of one language, and, and, he, and he believes what's going on in Babel is the powerful has begun to enforce their way. And when you have a tower built, it's usually not done by volunteer label, labor, but instead the powerful have begun to enforce one language, and they're using forced labor to build this tower. So, so in effect, God in Babel does, is not punishing people, but, but God affirms cultural diversity. That, that one language is not the goal, but diversity is good. And, and, and so does Pentecost reverse or affirm? They hear in their own language. See, see Pentecost affirms cultural diversity. 
It doesn't reverse Babel. In fact, once again, it's God saying many languages, many people, many cultures is God, is good. Our God values diversity. He's not cookie cutter. Uh, as I'm thinking about today's gathering, I think it's going to be good together with a diverse group of believers that may have different ways of worshiping and different perspectives on life. God values diversity. As a matter of fact, you see it throughout the scripture. John's vision of heaven is this. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You know, as I read that, and, and John particularly makes this reference to, to their own tongues, their own language, I, I don't believe they're all up there praising God in English. Do you? See, see, I believe our God values diversity, and in heaven, the scene in heaven includes many cultures and many colors and many languages. As a matter of fact, the cultures and the diversity begins to reflect the diversity of our God. On my street, there's Asian families. There's Indian families. As a matter of fact, just down my block, there's two or three homes of Asian families, and they all work at Honda. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, and they, they appear to be family or connected. You know, they're, they're very pleasant. We've had, you know, some good interchanges. But, 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 but it's very difficult for me to bridge that cultural barrier. Catty Corner from me is, a, or two doors down, is a, an Indian family. That, and then another Indian family just down the street. And, and to be honest, it's been very difficult for me to, to bridge that cultural diversity and divide because they speak another language even. And so you see these things just on, on my normal street in Marysville, Ohio, and, and I may not be able to bridge those gaps, but Pentecost tells me that God can. That, that somehow through the miracle of the Holy Spirit that, that God is able to bridge cultural divides and cultural diversity in our community. And those are just the cultural divides that are visible and apparent. But, but on our street, there's people with different paradigms, different ways of viewing life, far different than mine, different experiences, different family life. God's able to bridge those divides. See, see God does not expect... Everyone to look just like us. And everybody said, praise the Lord. He doesn't expect everyone to look just like us or think just like us. It's not cookie cutters. In fact, this diversity allows us to more accurately reflect the image of God. And so the question I have, and I think we all should have, is how can God use me to speak their cultural language? Uh, on my block, on my street. 
God, can you do a Pentecost miracle in me in which people are able to hear me in the language of their heart, in the language of their culture? When, when, when all these things that divide us, God, that somehow you can do a miracle, a communication miracle, even on my block. Can we read a little bit more of the story? Peter stands up and begins to preach, and he says this, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, that's right, not, not Baptist, not Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by, miracle, by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. <laughs> that tells me this crowd, even if they're travelers, they've been here through the season. This man, delivered over by, by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Then skipping down to verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and said to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received this word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. 3,000. 3,000 on this first Pentecost Sunday, 3,000 people became part of this early church. <laughs> Makes you wonder how they handled them, right? <laughs> how they handle all that. That, that. That's another miracle. But the, the question I have this morning for us is who gathered? I've got to tell you, I, sometimes I read scriptures and I, I have assumptions in my mind as I read the scriptures. And, and those assumptions will sometimes just kind of overtake my thinking so that, that I don't even read, I just, I just assume. And, and I've always assumed that this is pilgrims. You know, they're speaking different language and they've come to, to Jerusalem. But that's not who's identified in this passage as those who've gathered. Verse 5 says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And the word used here for living is not just in a hotel or not just for a period of time. This means they had set roots and they had permanently decided to live in Jerusalem. These were seekers. These were people who had converted to Judaism. And at this time, from all over the world, there were God-seekers that, that they would hear the Jewish message and they'd say, that sounds right. And they would convert to Judaism. And they would come to Jerusalem because they wanted to die in Jerusalem. What's that mean? Well, it means, number one, they would go through all the Jewish rituals to become Jewish. 
These were adult men submitting to circumcision. These were seekers, right? All the men said amen. These were seekers. They would quit their jobs and move to Jerusalem. That they would leave their families, at least their extended families, and relocate to Jerusalem. That they would leave all their belongings behind. You can't take land with you, right? They had to leave their land and what they knew, and they would move to Jerusalem. These were seekers. You know, as, I, as I think about these guys, to, to me, as I envision them, they have a heart like Abraham, right? <laughs> that, that, that they've heard the call of God and they're willing to go even though they can't speak the language, even though they own no land and, and probably have very little possibility of inheriting land by their system that, that lasts... They're leaving people behind. They're going to the parents they'll never see again. All because they're seeking God. And they're living. They're the neighbors around the upper room. Around the upper room where they're praying, all around them are these true seekers. So who is this first in-gathering, this great in-gathering? Who's the beginning of the church? It was those who were seeking and those who were right next door to the disciples. See, see this doesn't begin by reaching our world. This begins in our neighborhoods. Does God call us? And I guess this is the question for today. Does God call us to overwhelm people with our ability to, to, to convince and argue? Or does God call us to do our parts in the opportunities He gives? Luke 10.2 And He was saying to him, The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't you see? There's people who are ripe for the plucking all around you. You need to pray that people will take the time, will make the most of the opportunities all around them. 1 Corinthians 3, 5-7 What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants to whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was, was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. <laughs> do, do, do you see it? See, 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 God, I, I think somehow in our mind, when, when, when preachers begin to preach about saving our community, we, we think about the worst case scenario, right? You think about your neighbor next door that, that has no interest in the gospel. You, you think about that person that wants to argue every point. And I believe there's a time for them as well. But that time comes as God works on their heart. See, see, God's not 
asking us to do the impossible. God is asking us to make the most of the opportunities he gives us. To, to, to speak with those who are true seekers. So I think about this campaign and love you see. The question is this. Who are the seekers living right in your neighborhood? You can't identify that unless you begin to have conversations. Unless there's a communication miracle in your neighborhood, you cannot identify who these true seekers are. See, see I believe in every block there are people who are ready to accept Jesus as their Savior if someone would just begin to share the gospel message. Do you believe that? Do, do, do we still believe in the prevenient grace of God, that God's grace goes before, that, that, that it's not us that does the work, it's God that does the work? Rainer tells us, and I, th th these are dated, dated statistics, but at one point Rainer said that one in five people who are unchurched are ready to accept Jesus if someone would just clearly convey the gospel. I mean, they're ripe if somebody would just tell them what the good news is. He says 80%, and these are dated. I don't know if these are still good, valid statistics, but I'd say it's a lot higher than we think. 80% of people would be willing to go to church with you if you just invite them to go with you. See, I believe in each of our neighbors, neighborhoods, there are people who are seekers. And the miracle of Pentecost, well, it was not that God reached out to people who were not seeking, but God gave the message to the seekers and they responded. What opportunities are you being given in your neighborhood? And I understand some of you, your neighborhood, it's, it, it's not as easy and you're spread out and, and you say, Pastor, I moved out of a neighborhood so I didn't have to deal with neighbors. You know who you are. <laughs> but what opportunities are you be, being given elsewhere? Maybe this, maybe all we've talked about in this series doesn't work in your neighborhood block. And, and but, but, but where are your opportunities? Where, where are you working to move from stranger to relationship? You know, I worked for the railroad for uh, for like a month. <laughs> Anybody ever work for the railroad? Don't laugh. It's hard. Uh, it, it, you know, you think, oh, well, they do this stuff with their machines. No, they were driving spikes with hammers. That's right. I've been working on the railroad all the day long, you know, <laughs> driving spikes. And, you know, you do it just in rhythm, and you'd have to carry those ties. And, you know, you know a six-foot tie is not too bad, but you get one of those 18-foot ties, and, and they're, they're all coated with creosol. And so, you know, I'd come home, and my whole inner arm would be burnt up from the creosol. And those guys were sharp. You know, there's ways you can carry them where the weight goes on the other person. <laughs> Anybody ever work at Ambrose? Am I telling the truth? There's ways things can be carried where the weight is on the other person. And I was young, and I got to tell you, those guys were a little scary. <laughs> 
And I wasn't arguing with any of them. You know, they told me to jump. I said, how high? And I was carrying a lot of the load. I mean, I'd come home, I was just worn out, and I was young and in shape. See, God always will carry more of the load. When we're in the midst of something like this, I can guarantee you, God will carry more of the load. See, see, that's the point of prevenient grace, that, that God is at work, and all He asks from us is when He gives us opportunity, we take it. And so sometimes that's baby steps. Sometimes that's learning the names of your neighbors. Who's working? Seriously, who's working on learning your neighbors a little bit? Can you, anybody in here? Thanks, one hand. Who's got an arm? Raise it just for a second, okay? Okay, I'm just making sure. Is there a better way I can get participation? Tell me. Would you like to stand up or, you know, shout out? I hope you're working on this. I truly believe... I, at the core of my being. I believe God's trying to do something. And God's not try asking us to, 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 to leap a tall building. He's not calling us like evil Knievel to get on our motorcycle and, and half of you don't even know who I'm talking about and jump the Grand Canyon or Snake River Canyon or whatever he ended up not jumping. He's not calling us to do something impossible. He's not saying, okay, I, I, I want you to do some physical feat that's beyond your ability. God's saying, join me. Join me. I'm already at work. Today's an opportunity. It's an opportunity together at 11 a.m. There's no heavy lifting. It's not going to cost you anything. There's no admission to be paid. There's no restrictions. You know, not, there's no cost to this. At 11 o'clock, you can gather and you can be a visible part of the kingdom of God at work in this community. You're gathering with people who are saying, we believe in our community and we're seeking to bless it. I'm always reminded when we talk about things like this. You know what God told the people of Israel when they were in exile? said, seek the welfare of the city where you are. I, I believe that's the call of us as Christians, because I believe in a lot of ways, you know, we're, we're not in positions of power anymore. The church is in exile, and in exile, you know what you do? You seek the welfare of the city where you've been planted. And so we're joining like-minded people that say, we love this community. We love our neighborhoods. We love our neighbors. And we're Christian. We want to be there. And I think in the midst of that, we'll begin to build relationships. <laughs> in the midst of building relationships, I believe the gospel is always there. It's who we are. Amen? <laughs> I mean, if you build a relationship with somebody, how many Ohio State Buckeye fans are there out there? Raise your hand. Yeah, look at the hands go up for that. <laughs> if I say OH, you say? I know. Yeah. You know, when you're in a conversation with you, with someone, how long does it take before you say, hey, you watched the Buckeyes win last week? Doesn't take long. If Jesus is center, 
I think his name just naturally comes up. But we've got to build those relationships first. Next week, what opportunities? Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's simply learning a new name. But taking steps from stranger to relationship. Well, this is the end of the preaching series. And uh, I got to tell you, it's, it's been... If no one out there is challenged, I'm challenged. Because as I preach this, I have to live this. And it's not easy to live this. Amen? It's not. It takes effort, and it takes continued effort. Because the truth is, the easy thing to do is what? Do a few things, and then just go back to your normal. And I got to tell you, I'm tempted at times just to go back to the normal. It was a lot easier just to do this. Right? So I'm challenged. This is the end of the series. It's not the end of the call. Uh, ne next week, we're going to begin doing a series called um, Into the Flannel Graph. And we're going to talk about the, the story of God from creation. I, I was going to call the series The Storm, Story of God, but I didn't want you to get confused and think Morgan Freeman was going to be here or something because he's doing that. So we're calling it Into the Flannel Graph, and we're going to start with creation and go through Revelation. I, I believe it's eight weeks or something. We're going to survey the story. And, and, and I'm going to continue to ask you how you're doing. Are you learning names? Are you moving from stranger to relationship? And at some point, I believe this, at some point, we're going to celebrate because someone in this room is going to lead a neighbor to Jesus Christ. Amen? Isn't that the point? <laughs> at some point, somebody's going to come to me and pa say, Pastor, I built this relationship, and guess what? And we're going to celebrate that. I want to know those stories. If that happens, talk to me because we want to celebrate that because that is the point of what we're doing. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we're going to do our Sunday school classes. Uh, last week I told you I had you done in 25 minutes, but Ryan told me they'd restarted the clock about halfway in, so it's closer to 40 minutes, not 25, 40. Today we're at 30. Is that correct time today? That is correct time. Uh, keep, keep Pastor Bob in your prayer. Uh, Pastor Bob, is, is his neuropathy was bothering him. He's up all night. He's hoping to be at the service at the high school. Keep uh, my, my mother-in-law in her prayer. She lost her sister uh, last week, and so Terry and her are in, in Kentucky for a funeral, and so just a just a bad bad time for for her. And I know there's a lot of folks going through things. Remember Geneva Massey in your prayers. Geneva has been moved to Hilliard to a, a care facility there, and so she's no longer at um, Bluebird. Uh, she would appreciate uh, uh, any any contact, any cards, and I'll get her address out by email so that you can make sure that you let Geneva know that you're you're thinking of her. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, right now we give you thanks for this day. We're thankful, Lord, for this opportunity to gather. Uh, we, we believe that you're at work in our little community. And Lord, uh, we, we confess that if you're not at work, uh, nothing that we do will matter. Uh, we can't do this on our own. We're completely dependent on your Holy Spirit. Pentecost reminds us, Lord, that the church only becomes the church when it's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll fill us with your Spirit. And as you fill us with your Spirit, may we realize this is not just some personal thing that we experience that makes us feel good. It's not just a glowing of our Spirit, Lord, but it's ascending. It's a mission. 
And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be engaged in the business of the kingdom, the mission of the kingdom. And so Lord, as we've gathered in this place, and we love our gatherings, and I believe it's essential and important, but as we've gathered in this room today, what I'm aware of is in the neighborhood around this building, there are true seekers. And Lord, they're waiting for someone to clearly convey the message of Jesus in the language of their heart. Make us those vessels. Do a communication miracle in our church. Help us, Lord, to be able to clearly proclaim who you are, what you've done, and what it means for us. Now, Lord, go with us as we go. As we gather in our Sunday school classes, may your Holy Spirit uh, continue his role of teacher. As we gather at the high school, 11 o'clock, Lord, may we celebrate in unity with other believers in our community. And Lord, may your kingdom come in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.